You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. This week, you are about to experience my new audio interface. Last week, I told you, hey, we have a different program situation because, well, my computer blew up. This week, we got everything figured out, and so I'm very excited. I want to make a few quick announcements before we dive into this week's program, which is going to be a lot of fun. Number one, prayers that shake heaven and earth needs your help. Guys, many of you that listen to this podcast have enjoyed our prayers. They're, they're on our website. They're also now in a book, a convenient tool by which to get breakthrough, secure inner healing, pray for things in your life. The book has a assortment of prayer. Many of you have already bought it. Uh, we, we, I mean, sold the first thousand. We had to order more. We're continuing to sell them. And you guys, we're just so grateful that you are using the tools that God has called us to produce and telling others about them. Well, how else can you tell others about the book? There's no better way than with a review on Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com or any other internet reseller. It, it It is necessary. And so I really want to appeal to those of you that are supportive of this ministry that have been blessed by the prayers on our website. So back into it, if not financially, you know, I mean, just leave a review somewhere on the internet. Say, hey, this book, it blessed my life. It will help others to find the blessings that you've connected with. So there's my exhortation this week. And I'm going to be making this announcement repeatedly over the next few weeks because I'm believing God. This is my this is my belief. I am putting my faith out there for 100 reviews on Amazon. And I know that we can get 100 reviews because there's far more than 100 of you that have been blessed by this book. You've bought it. You've used it. You used the prayers on our website. You've been blessed. The book is the prayers on the website and some extras and so please help others find these resources with your voice other than that we are going to be having our bride tribe retreat and it's right now as a matter of fact as this program is posting we are gearing up for thursday friday saturday of the bride tribe retreat i really want to encourage you guys if you want to get more involved in the actual community that's beginning to develop at Bride Ministries. Start by showing up at the Fireplace Church on Sunday nights. From there, we do have uh, smaller groups that are breaking out and meet periodically, and you'll get the details about those groups from the Fireplace Church, not necessarily from this podcast, which just goes out everywhere. And so that is your gateway to connecting more deeply with Bride Ministries. We meet every Sunday night at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Folks, the uh, next round of the Bride Ministries Institute is getting posted. It is the Grace class. And if you have not taken the Grace class in the past with us, and, and I, I, I took a lot of people that have been with our ministry for a little while now through this course when we were doing the discipleship, but now we've transformed it into a Bride Ministries Institute course. It's getting posted real soon here. And so... Uh, when it posts, I, I, I want those of you that have never taken the grace course to consider it because it is life transforming. It'll change the way you think and engage with God fundamentally. And I'll tell you, it is one of the early things that absolutely transformed me personally. Okay, so there's Bride Ministries Institute. 
That's all I got for now. Folks, I am going to introduce you to a new friend of mine named Brother Neil Thornburg. In just a minute, don't go anywhere. You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. Folks, we are going to have an amazing conversation today. I have a new individual to introduce you to. He's never been on my program before. And I'll tell you, uh, this man is full of incredible stories and testimonies that are just going to be so much fun to talk about. His name is Brother Neil Thornburg. He is the uh, discipleship pastor at the Church of at West Mountain in Gilmore, Texas. And he has been working with survivors of satanic ritual abuse for decades. The Lord has led him into this ministry long before, I I mean, (laughs) I even knew what this ministry was. And I, I ran into him because he had worked for years with an individual that I wound up working with a few years ago and I was introduced to him and I just really really appreciate him and meeting him was just such an amazing experience brother Neil welcome to discovering the truth with Dan Duvall brother Daniel it's good to be with you this morning and thank you for such a gracious introduction my brother (laughs) well you know we have a lot to talk about here brother Neil and, and when we got the opportunity to sit down and have a meal together. I mean, we just had a this is an amazing exchange. I want to give my audience an opportunity to learn a little bit about your testimony because and, and and not your testimony of how you found Jesus, but your testimony of how Jesus led you to begin working with people that were battling with demonization and and problematic scenarios. When you told me the story, I just found it really profound, and I wanted to give you the opportunity to share that. So how did you end up in the ministry of deliverance in the first place? Well, Brother Daniel, it's a privilege to share that with you. Let me go back to the beginning. Um, Dad got out of World War II in 1944, got married, had a daughter, had another daughter, and then I came along in 1947. We moved to an 80-acre uh, farm in southeast Oklahoma, and uh, my dad was saved whenever I was six years old. My sister and I were saved whenever I was eight. I grew up in a very, um, I would call it, uh, traditional, conservative home, uh, faithful in church, uh, faithful to read my Bible, uh, learned to 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 love my bible in fact i fell in love with john 10:10 whenever i was 8 years old was saved april the 1st 1956 and uh eventually graduated high school went on to oklahoma state university and and then uh, began to uh enter in the full-time ministry when i was 20 years old but i was a 
basic guy in ministry, uh, conservative Southern Baptist. Uh, that's not a, a bad thing or a good thing. It's just, it's just truth. Um, heaven was preached about a lot. Hell was preached about a lot. And sin was preached about a lot, but I don't ever remember a message in all of my growing up on um, spiritual warfare at all. But in, in 1976, I was pastoring a church that was just exploding with growth, and uh, a family came to that church that uh, were amazingly uh, about the same age as my wife and I, and uh, our three children, but they had some unique uh, issues and elements. As I got to know the family better, I found that uh, uh, the man had been a ranger in the military and had spent uh, considerable time in Vietnam, um, and he came back with some unique abilities, such as he could uniquely talk to animals and they seemed to understand him. Uh, he could see in the dark. Uh, he could camouflage himself. Uh, he could do all kinds of things that this country boy thought was a, a little bit strange. Can um, I just pause you right there? Sure. Did you have the opportunity to witness him do any of these things that you just described? Oh, sure. And I was in his home continually. Oh, my. Okay. You, so you're going to have to give us the breakdown. But go ahead. Okay. Well, and one of the things that he could do was, was speak in other languages. Um, I, I learned that they were some dialects of, uh, of Vietnamese and, and, um, and, and Brother Daniel, I'm just repeating some things now. I mean, I have never been to Vietnam. I don't know this is facts, but I know that he was telling me the truth. When he, he was in Vietnam, it was his job to take a dog, a German shepherd, and go behind enemy lines. Uh, that sounds even pretty dangerous, even sitting here in my chair. <laughs> uh, and And he was befriended by a young man uh, that he called uh, Mountain Yard People. Uh, and I understand they were the native Vietnamese like our Native Americans are here in the U.S. They did not like the South. They did not like the North. They just wanted to be left alone. And so he went to the village with this new friend, because he saw that these mountain yard people could camouflage themselves. They could run all day and not get tired. Um, they, could, they could do all sorts of things that um, would come in very handy as a ranger behind military lines in Vietnam. So he asked the young man, how do you all do that? And he said, I don't know. Let's go ask Daddy. Well, Daddy was the chief. And the chief immediately said, I can't tell you, but I can point you to a guy that can. And he pointed him to what you and I would call the witch doctor or the shaman of the tribe. And so 
the shaman of the tribe taught this uh, man how to do all of these unusual things that cannot usually be accomplished in our physical world. But really what he taught him how to do was to invite demons into his body. Now, of course, whenever he came back from Vietnam, the demons were still there. Well, Brother Daniel, I didn't know anything about demons. I mean, I had read about them in the Scripture. But remember, heaven's good, sin is bad, and you don't want to go to hell. That's what I grew up hearing. Okay? So demons, um, even in my culture of uh, Southern Baptist preacher realm, we didn't talk about demons. So uh, I, I, I would try to minister to this man. Uh, he uh, seemed to be uh, suicidal. He would choke himself. He would bang his head against the wall. He would do all sorts of these things. And so I prayed a prayer that literally changed my life. And this was the prayer. Heavenly Father, you have placed this family in this congregation where you have chosen me to be the pastor. So if you, and I don't know what's going on here, but if you will teach me how to minister to this man, I will dedicate my life to understanding it and learning it and ministering in this realm. Oh, Brother Daniel, I didn't know what I had prayed so immediately, things began to escalate. Uh, and um, for, for instance, uh, I enlisted some help from some very faithful people in our church. Uh, none of the pastors in that area wanted to touch it with a 10-foot pole, but had some faithful people that agreed to help me, and, and uh uh, I was ministering to this man one day and praying with him, and he was trying to uh, hurt himself by banging his head on the wall and choking himself and speaking in this unknown tongue that I didn't recognize, which turned out to be Vietnamese. Um, and um, I suppose I was getting kind of excited, so the volume of my voice was escalating, and he said, Papa San." Please, don't talk so loud. I said, okay. Um, And then I said, um, because I had called my friend to come and and help me, and um, I said, uh, but you might as well get used to some loud talking because I've got a friend that's coming now that's got about twice the volume that I have. He said, I know. He's just pulled up in the driveway. (laughs) <laughs> and about three seconds later, the knock came on the door, and I said, now, wait a minute, God. How did he know that my friend had pulled up in the driveway? Because we had not heard the car pull up. And the, the Holy Spirit of God uh, began to really minister to me that day and, and, and showed me that we were dealing with the demonic realm. And I said, okay, God, um, I don't know what I'm doing, but um, here we go. So, Brother Daniel, that was my introduction. 
and sad to say, um, it did not have a a a, a glorious uh, conclusion mm-hmm. uh, because uh, the the man eventually uh, uh, was really involved in in, in drugs and um, and um, and and really died in a meth lab fire. Um, so, but that started me on this journey, um, and then immediately. The word that got out in the community is, well, Brother Neil has a deliverance ministry. And and I said, I do not, but, but because, Brother Daniel, and it's kind of funny now, but um, deliverance was something that the charismatics did. <laughs> okay? But Baptists didn't do that. So uh-huh. I was bound up with a traditional mindset. Um, but so, from that point on, it just escalated. Okay. All right. So, so we're going to get into the escalation. Now, now I, I need to ask you a few questions here because, um, I mean, you began this ministry, I mean, from my vantage point in a different era, I wasn't even born yet when God was already beginning to take you down this road. And so, um, but, but I remember like when I was growing up, the subject of, like casting out demons, most of the Christians that I met thought that Jesus cast out all the demons 2,000 years ago so we didn't have to deal with them anymore. I mean, it was like very taboo. And <laughs> how did the ministers in your circles respond to all of this? Um, Brother Daniel, the ministers in my circle, circles, um, began to shun me. Um, now, l- let let me tell you, uh, and, and by the way, I am not a negative person. I don't have an axe to grind with anyone. I, I'm not mad at anybody. I'm, yeah, I, I'm just not that kind of a guy. But our church was growing so fast uh, at that time. We were, quote, unquote, baptizing more people than anybody in our association of churches uh, we were building buildings, et cetera, et cetera. So we were excelling in the numbers game. Is it okay to say it like that, Brother Daniel? I mean, however you want to. You're my senior, my friend, so. <laughs> well, well, but but I just want to be clear in what I'm saying. Uh-huh. In other words, uh, let, let, let me be negative for one moment here, okay? Yeah. I hate hypocrisy. And of all things, I hate religious hypocrisy. And we are introduced to religious hypocrisy every day by what we count. Because what is important to us is what we count. And and in the in the circles that I was rotating in at that time, we counted how many we had in Sunday school, how many we were baptizing. And there's nothing wrong in that. But, but but we never counted how many people were we were discipling. In fact, I don't know how you count that. But anyway, um, and there again, I'm not angry. I'm not upset. I, I'm just saying, um, I, I I was asked to speak on all of the evangelism conferences, all of the evangelism rallies. But other than that, I was shunned. 
uh, and I, I was looked at with kind of a raised eyebrow uh, because I would even dare to speak the word demon or to, or to write material on, on uh, generational inheritance and begin to write a lot of material on that. Uh, all hell broke loose when I did that. Um, began to, to, uh, to, to talk about and write about strongholds. And all of those things were taboo uh, in the uh, time period uh, of the of the middle uh, 1970s, early 1980s, and the realm where I was rotating in the pastoral ministries. Does that kind of answer your question there? Absolutely. Yeah. Now, here, l- l- let me tell you a glorious. Uh, conclusion. Well, it's not a conclusion, but a mm-hmm. glorious end to all this. Many of the pastors who fought me, criticized me, condemned me, have now come back over this time span of the last 40 years and asked me to help them. <laughs> and my flesh said, are you kidding? But my spirit said, of course. So a good... A good testimony there, uh, uh, Brother Daniel. Um, and and that is a that is a very positive testimony. Now now I want to um, also ask another question because you you mentioned the volume piece, and and this is I think something that gets a little bit. One opinion differs from another, but I remember reading a book by a man you may know of named Lester Sumrall. And he went around yes. the world casting out demons. And then he built a television network. Well, I, I got a hold of one of his books and <laughs> I'm reading it, right? And he's answering the question, does volume help when casting out demons? And you know what he said? Yes. <laughs> he said, the, when I yell at them, they respond. So, you know, granted that there are differences of opinion. I, I wanted to get your take on this. Uh, and, and your experience on the subject of volume and how volume gets incorporated in in actual sessions. I don't think demons are hard hearing, brother. Volume doesn't matter to me. I don't disagree with people that say that it does, but for me it doesn't. Let me give you an example, okay? I was called to a home one night, and there was a little lady who weighed probably maybe 100 pounds that was trying to throw herself through a plate glass window. Uh, when I got there, uh, there was already a member of her family that was holding down one leg. Uh, my youth minister was trying to hold down the other leg. I got behind her and, 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 and held her as politely as I possibly could so that she couldn't get up. Now, I remind you, here is a frail woman that's basically whipping three grown men. <laughs> I had called one of our prayer warriors who knew how to minister in this area. She walked in, laid her hands on this woman's shoulder, and very quietly said, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to be still. And she wilted in her chair. And I said, oh, Lord, I've got a lot to learn. And I've learned that it is not physical strength. By the way, that's kind of what 
Ephesians chapter 6 says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. So volume to me doesn't help or doesn't matter. Um, it's, it's the truth of the word. Uh, we've got to, we've got to, 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 to literally immerse ourselves in the, in, the, in, in the word of God. Uh, demons cannot stand the word of God. I've had many times demons speaking through people, and I'd be reading the word to them, um, and 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 the quote unquote person would put their hands to their ears and say, "Please don't read out of that book anymore." But but after all, when Jesus dealt with Satan himself in Luke chapter four, he quoted scripture. It's the power of the word. It's not techniques. Uh, it's not even uh, experiential history, even though I praise the Lord for <laughs> the experiential history that I've had. But, but it's, it's the power of the Spirit uh, and, 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 the, and the Word. But thank you for the question. I'm sorry I had a long answer there. I love it. I love it. So w- with that out of the way, I, uh, let's continue on some of the, the goodies here. How were you introduced to the unique needs of survivors of satanic ritual abuse and what did this element do to your worldview Hmm. well it changed my life first of all um but daniel i i didn't even really know what the term sra meant I mean, I was aware of it, but as far as really having a concept and an understanding, I didn't. Until God began to bring some people into our ministry realm that had unique problems. It wasn't just that we could pray with them, minister to them, disciple them, and and they could go on their merry way. Uh, These people, once you ministered to them in one area, it would lead you down a trail that led down another trail that led down another trail. And I began to say, now, Father, this one's different. What is the deal here? Um, then I, I was introduced in, in, in a glaring, unique, uh, shocking way to, to generational Satanism. There again, I didn't even know that existed. But whenever I was introduced to generational Satanism uh, and found out how these individuals are programmed, and um, then, of course, uh, many of the, the, the things that we were learning all along, then all of this was overlaid into my uh, present experience. And then I began to understand back then it was called multiple personalities now it's called dissociative identity disorder but i said now god i'm not satisfied with uh a psychological uh evaluation or diagnosis so god allowed me to understand that all of that was already in his word 
and it's in James chapter 1 and verse 8, and James chapter 4 and verse 8. That's where God talks about, through James, he talks about the double-minded person is unstable in all of their ways. Uh, the, the Greek word dasukos, double-souled, double-minded. In the old German Bibles, it's still uh, double-souled. And I said, well, God, how, how does that work? And so, Brother Daniel, that has been the journey that, that I've been on and understanding that SRA people are double-minded. Now, if they go to a psychologist or a psychiatrist, they're going to get every kind of diagnosis you can imagine under the sun. But God calls it double-minded. And if God calls it double-minded then God has a solution. It rocked my world. Uh, Brother Daniel, how it changed my mindset is this. I did not understand the evilness of evil. I hope that's a good statement. Sounds good to me. Uh, I I, I did not. for, For the first time, for the first time, even in my ministry, I learned the great sin of passivity and the fact that we cannot turn a deaf ear or a blind eye to these hurting people. I loved Luke chapter 4 when Jesus, quote-unquote, preached his first sermon there in, in Nazareth when he went to uh, the synagogue there and, and they handed him uh, the book uh, of Isaiah, the old scroll. Of course, we know by comparison it was Isaiah chapter 61. And then when he said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovery of the sight to the blind, to serve at liberty those who are oppressed, uh, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And God moved in my heart. As, as, I, as I immersed myself in that scripture. And he said, Neil, that's, that's real today. And I said, well, God, you're going to have to teach me. And, and, and so he, he began to teach me that when a person is introduced to especially uh, repeated trauma, rejection, fear, abuse, then uh, the, the mortal mind doesn't know what to do with that. No one is equipped to deal with that. And, and so consequently, perhaps as a defense mechanism, I'm not really sure, but the, the mind will put the memory and the emotion of that traumatic event over into another area of their mind, and they become a double-souled, double-minded person. There again, uh, the uh, mental health community would say uh, they're everything from uh, paranoid schizophrenic to bipolar. Uh, uh, By the way, Mm -hmm. the military diagnosis, Brother Daniel, is PTSD. I hope I don't get in trouble for saying that. But listen, I deal with a lot of people 
who have come out of the military with a diagnosis of PTSD and, and, and have found that when a person is introduced to the trauma that they have to go through, especially like uh, in Vietnam or even Iraq uh, or even back even as my dad was in World War II, uh, they, they don't know how to handle that. They're not equipped to handle that. And so consequently, they have to, quote-unquote, create a personality to handle that trauma. When I understood that, then I asked the immediate question, well, God, how do I minister to these people? And the solution is simple. Now, Brother Daniel, I didn't say easy, but the solution is simple. You access every one of these wounded parts you access every, every one of these uh, uh, d divisions of the mind. And if they need to confess sin, if they need to agree with the salvation of the core, if, if, if they need to forgive, if the, especially themselves, um, then they can be, quote-unquote, cleaned up and integrated back into the core. Whew, I covered a lot of ground right there, Brother Daniel. <laughs> you have to learn an entirely new vocabulary as, oh, absolutely. As, as, as you take this journey. And I can only imagine how challenging this was for you because there wasn't much conversation surrounding the subject, probably until recent years when Hollywood decided to go nuts and put it in all their films. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Praise the Lord for a man by the name of Neil Anderson. He began to write some books. Uh, he, By the way, the guy's got I don't know how many degrees, and which doesn't matter to me, but, but he just is acknowledged in the, in the world of academia. Uh, he's taught in seminaries. He's just, he began to write books. He began to write material. And, and you know, I looked at my wife, and I said, Hon, I'm not crazy, am I? She said, no, didn't ever think you were. I said, well, sometimes I doubted it because, I mean, hey, I, I was out there. I knew what I was doing uh, as far as experiencing, and, and I knew that I had a firm biblical foundation. But, Brother Daniel, there wasn't anybody else that I knew that was doing it. Now, I'm not being a crybaby here, and I'm not saying, oh, woe is me. I'm, I'm just saying it was such a delight when Neil Anderson's books began to, to, to come online, and, and, I, and I found out that, that I wasn't the only crazy one out there. Hmm. And so I had to learn a whole new uh, vo vocabulary. Um, and then something happened that, is, that I've learned since is so predictable. Satan tried to run me over. Um, I mean, people started coming out of the woodwork wanting help. Well, I wanted to help everybody, and I, and I was pastoring a church, and I found out I couldn't do that. Uh, so I had to be selective and, and who I was ministering to, and also found out that, that, that the severe cases like SRA, uh, which I was learning more and more and more about all the time, needed more intense 
uh, help, more intense work, and, and more intense discipleship. Um, but, but Daniel, you haven't asked this, but let me interject something here. Mm-hmm. What we try to do now is we do pre-counseling with a person, meaning we introduce them to uh, what we mean by an, by an ancestral demon chief. We introduce them to what we mean by generational iniquities, which is right there in the Bible. Uh, we, we introduce them what we mean by strongholds, um, all those things. And then we do the counseling, the biblical exhortation counseling, and then we found that one important, important element is the post-counseling or uh, the discipleship. Pretty scriptural. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if, if, we, if we bobble in any one of those three areas, we are, we are neglecting the spiritual health uh, of the of that individual. So, brother, it has been a a delightful journey. I'm helping people all over the United States right now, even uh, in uh, uh, Mexico. Uh, that's a whole new experience. Um, I had a lot of material that has been translated into Spanish, which I didn't have anything to do with that. A, a, a good missionary friend helped with that. Um, so, brother. Yeah, I had to learn a new vocabulary, a new mindset, and understand that the culture of Jesus' day and everything that he dealt with, that's what we're dealing with today. I mean, the calendar has changed, but the spirit world hasn't changed, except evil has gotten more evil. Um I hope I'm not chasing a rabbit here. Am I answering your question? Well, I mean, you actually asked yourself the last question that you answered, but this is really good. So, you know, when, as you're describing all of these things, this, I was actually thinking about some of the things that God has had us to do at Bride Ministries. You know, he had me relaunch this podcast back in 2015 as I was, uh, you know, going into that this phase of ministry and at the same time he had me launch discipleship courses and I had already begun working with a few survivors myself and what I realized early on is that I it, it had to be more than just the sessions where I was sitting down with people and going through stuff because yeah there's two hours on a Monday but what about Tuesday through Sunday and how do you make a provision for the crisis moments as one person? You can't be everything to everyone all the time as you so accurately described. And so I began to see the need for discipleship and community. And, and it's, it's been a very unique thing that God has done with bride, but I see a lot of parallels into what you guys built and what kind of just organically began to happen, you know, we have this podcast that educates lots of people who then turn around and reach out to us for actual help, having already been educated on the problem. They know what they're going into when they connect with one of our coaches, and then they'll connect with the Fireplace Church, or as they're working on going with one of our coaches, they have the ability to get into some of our 
survivor groups that are intentional community where discipleship happens. And it's it you're right. These elements need to be there in order for it to work well for everyone, not just for right. the people seeking help, but for the mental stability of those that are helping. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, and and we have we have set our our focus in the last uh, several years in, in in training people um, uh, in in the churches where we uh, have pastored, and also uh, in in uh, starting some regional groups, uh, or I call them regional groups, where uh, if if someone comes and gets counseling and goes back to their geographical area, if they if they want to go a step further and, and, and help people get more educated and discipled in this kind of ministry that I spend time with them. I have a wonderful, wonderful um, uh, church family here, local church family, that sees the benefit of this kingdom ministry and um, tells me that uh, I do not even have to, even though I'm on full-time staff, they tell me I do not have to be here on Sundays, that I can go and minister wherever I want to go, um, which is a blessing. Um, so many things have changed in the last several years. Up until 2015, I had been, well, for 47 years, I had been the senior pastor of churches. Uh, and then in, and at, in January of 2015, I... Uh, took on an associate's role as discipleship pastor, and we elevated our our youth pastor up to be our senior pastor. And so a man 35 years younger than me, I now call pastor, which was a interesting scenario for me. Uh, <laughs> but, brother, it's wonderful. It's wonderful. Because here's what I understand. The spirit world understands authority mm -hmm. and they watch us and if we are not operating under authority whether it's me understanding the authority of uh, a young pastor or, or the rest of my elders um, or, or, or whether it's me putting my seatbelt on when I get in the car or driving the speed limit or not killing a deer out of season, or, or whatever. Being under the authority of God and under the legal authority of even the state, um, uh, that keeps us from the demons having a, a legal accusation against us. So uh, that's where we are today in, 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 in our ministry. We we do uh, usually an annual conference here at our church where we teach some of these principles. Um, and um, uh, but, but Daniel, it's, it's just something that the church has got to do because it was the ministry of Jesus, and it's got to be our ministry. Um, we've got to... Um, We've got to have a passion to see the captive set free. Uh, and um, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a blessing. I, I, have, I have come to find out several amazing things. For instance, mm -hmm. um, 
the demonic world is very, very, very organized. Um, <laughs> and they have their own prayer meetings. They do their own sacrifices. They do their own baptisms. They do their own, quote, unquote, Lord's Supper. It's not the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, they do everything we do. And, and most of the time, they're more passionate than we are. Isn't that something? Uh, I, I, I broke my ankle in, um, uh, in three places in, 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 in 1990. fell off a roof. I was roofing um, a house for a fellow pastor. And, of course, I had to go to the hospital and, and get it fixed. And I was in the hospital for quite a while. And, and, um, and my, my men of that church would not leave me by myself. They were there 24 hours a day as long as I was in the hospital uh, because we were, uh, we were really doing some, some uh, strong spiritual warfare. After I got out of the hospital, uh, through a set of unique events, I, I led a lady to the Lord, uh, and she was a nurse, and she looked at me after she trusted Christ, and she said, Brother Neil, uh, you don't know who I am, do you? I said, no, I know who you told me you were and that you're a nurse and that you uh, worked at the hospital where I, where I was uh, a patient after I broke my ankle. And she said, well, I'm part of a, I was part of a witch's coven. I said, okay, I've heard of those things, but <laughs> I've never met anybody that was in one. She said, well, I was. Um, and uh, I was given the assignment to come and to hurt you. I said, wait a minute, you're a nurse. You were given an assignment to come and hurt me? Uh, I thought nurses were supposed to be uh, ministers of mercy and healing. She said, brother, no, you don't understand which is coming to you. I said, well, really, no, I don't. And so she began to explain some things. I said, well, why would you want to come hurt me? She said, because you're doing great damage to the kingdom of darkness in this area. And they wanted to get you out of the way. <laughs> I said, oh, well, thanks for telling me. I said, well, how was you going to hurt me? And she cocked her head and she said, Brother Neil, I'm a nurse. I could, I could have figured out a way to hurt you. I said, okay, thank you. Well, anyway, what happened? And she said, well, you were on a certain floor in a certain room. I said, well, yes, that's true. She said, well, I worked on a different floor. So I came down the elevator to to your floor and looked down the hall that was leading to your room. And um, I said, well, I don't remember seeing you come into my room. She said, I didn't. I said, why not? She said, because the hallway was lined with angels. She said, and there was two of the biggest angels I've ever seen in my life standing on either side of your door. She said, I wasn't about to come down that hall. <laughs> I love it. So I said, thank you, Lord, for the godly men who stood by my side. Now, of course, my wife was there. And, of course, other people in the church were there. But, And I'm not getting all of this in chronological order. You understand that. Mm-hmm. But all mm-hmm. this just help me understand the dynamics of the spirit world. 
And you know, you're hitting on something that people I think really need to get when God calls a man or woman to, to do something for him and they say yes to that assignment that doesn't come with nothing that comes with heaven's endorsement meaning heaven's defenses uh angelic escorts so on and so forth all of that provision is dispensed by father god to those who say yes so you know sometimes people are in fear about engaging in in ministry for those that are the most hurting, the most broken uh, people coming out of these kinds of backgrounds. And it's like, you know, well, I don't know what I would do if I had a coven of witches on assignment against me. And it's like, well, but that's where faith comes in. Because when you partner with God in obedience, there are provisions that are released that you may not necessarily see, but are present nonetheless. And what you shared is such a reveal. It's such a window into that really awesome story. Well, Brother Daniel, I, 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 I agree. L- l- let me go back and tell you another story, okay? <laughs> Please. I, I did not know either one of my grandmothers. Both of them were deceased many years before I was born. Um, so I often wondered, um, you know, what, what kind of women they were, um, and what I had missed, uh, in not having a grandmother. And I, I went back to Oklahoma whenever I was pastoring here in East Texas. I went back to Oklahoma to, to preach a funeral, in fact, at the home church where I was raised. And after the funeral, uh, an elderly lady that I had known literally all of my life uh, went to went to school with her grandson. She came up to me and she said, "William Neal, um, I, I heard you preach today. Are you a pastor?" I said, "Yes, ma'am, I am." And I told her where I was pastoring here in East Texas. Then she made an interesting statement. She said, "It's no wonder you're a pastor." I said, "Why did you say that?" She said, because your grandmother Thornburg and I were good friends and next-door neighbors whenever we were young women raising our families. And she prayed that she would have a grandson that would be a pastor. I went, oh, I didn't know that. It's very interesting. Two weeks after that, I was visiting in a hospital. Um, close to Red River, of course, in Oklahoma, it's right across the Red River. So, so that was back when the the patient list was out uh, on the counter. You could go up and read who was in the hospital, where they were from, what their telephone numbers were, and what room they were in. Things have changed a lot. So I thought, hey, there may be somebody here from over in Oklahoma where I was raised. And if there is, I'll go in and visit them. So I found a name, didn't recognize the name, but went up to see this individual. Knocked on the door, and a very weak voice said, Come in. I went in the room, and there was a very frail uh, black lady that was there. And she wanted to talk. And she said, Well, Sonny, what are you doing in my room? 
and I told her my story. I'm a pastor here in East Texas, and I thought maybe I would know you because you've got an address of where I graduated from high school in Oklahoma. And she said, well, well, who are you? And I told her my name. What's your daddy's name? I told him my daddy's name. What's your mother's name? Told her my mother's name. And when I told her my mother's maiden name, she cocked her head and said, what was your grandmother's name? And Brother Daniel, when I told her my grandmother's name, she said, child, child, I was your grandmother's nurse before she died. And then she asked in her own ethnic way, she said, what do you say you do? I said, I'm a pastor of a church. And she said, well, there's no wonder you're a pastor of a church. I said, well, well, wait a minute. I just heard that statement from my grandmother Thornburg two weeks ago, or from a lady that knew her. And now I'm hearing it from a lady that knew my grandmother Sharp. Mm. And I said, why did, why did you say that? And she said, well, well, your grandmother Sharp prayed that she would have a grandson that would be a pastor. Now, Brother Daniel, I don't even think those two women knew each other. But two women prayed identical prayers years before I was born. So after I got home and got over the shock, I got on my knees and said, God, you, you got you got to you got to explain this to me. And and he he sent me to Isaiah fifty seven fifteen, which says, "The Lord lives in eternity." I said, "Okay, God, I I got that principle. You live in eternity." He said, "Well, Neil, you live on a timeline. I I, I don't. I I live in eternity." And so. In, in the 1930s and in the early 1940s, both of your grandmothers, without knowledge of either one uh, or the other one, both of them made a deposit in my eternal heaven, and I just chose to send it down in 1947 when you were conceived. That's I powerful. Said, oh. Is that, why, is that the way it works? He said, yes. Now, this is what blew me away, Brother Daniel. Mm. He said, prayers are always fresh in heaven. Okay. So, God, we can make a deposit in heaven, and then in your sovereign timing, you can send the answer down in a way that pleases you. So, so uh, Brother Daniel, two women that I haven't met yet that I'll get to meet someday open the storehouse of heaven for me because of their faithful prayer life so I, I was designated by God for this ministry years before I was even thought about um uh, so anyway, however that story fits in. Um. <laughs> well, you were sent. Yes. Amen. I love that. 
Amen and amen. So with that, you know, I want to get into a subject that I know you have a lot to speak on, but I don't know how much I'm going to get you to say. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to throw it out there and see what I can get. Okay. Okay. I want to talk to you about the connection between the kingdom of darkness, geographical agendas, okay? Because the, the lady revealed that you were doing damage to the kingdom of darkness in the region, okay? So yes. I want to talk about the kingdom of darkness and geographical agendas through Freemasonry. Ooh. What can you okay. tell me, Brother Neil? And, and, and you know... I hope that you take some liberties here, but we'll take what we can get. Brother Daniel, whoever hears this podcast, um, even though they will not know me um, and perhaps will never meet me, but they've got to commit themselves to pray for me and my family and the ministry to which God has called me if I take liberties here, okay? Because it's going to stir up the spirit realm. Agreed? I'll pray for you. Okay. My grandfather and great-grandfather were Masons. As I began to progressively do pastoral ministries, I began to run into people who were Masons, and I was pretty ignorant about all this stuff. But I had already learned the pattern that God had me in. When he introduced me to something, and then he wanted me to research it because he wanted me to, uh, to be faithful in prayer. In other words, I, I, I have never been able to stay in a state of ignorance or passivity. So I began to, to study Freemasonry. I began to, and books began to pour in. People began to give me books. Now, we're not talking about anti-Mason books, because there's plenty of those out there. We're talking about uh, commentaries, encyclopedias, the morals and dogmas, um, the applications the the uh, initiations and things, and, the, and they'll tell you none of these are written down, but that's a lie. They are written down. Um, and I, I began to, 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 to get all these, and I'm saying, God, okay, I, I, I understand. You want me to, to study this and to begin to be able to articulate what you want me to understand. And um, then... Uh, was thrust into a situation um, to where the, a, a local Masonic Lodge literally turned
leaned on me. And there were there were several deacons in the church where I was pastoring at that time that were there were masons. Um, and um, Daniel, it got it got ugly. It got ugly. But the greatest thing that I learned about the Masonic Lodge is that the that the Masonic Lodge of today is not like it was. It used to be. Um, in fact, I was at a funeral. Hate to go to a funeral with Masons there, but went to a funeral. And the, and, the, and the mason that was leading the service said, are you one of these Baptist preachers that don't like masons? And I thought, you sucker. You have just crossed the line. You have come into my domain. You have questioned my integrity. And you have challenged my authority. So here we go. And so I shot straight with him, and I said, yes, the Masonic Lodge is the second largest cult in the United States. Well, needless to say, we had an exciting funeral. Uh, and they had the graveside service and all that kind of stuff. Um, but Daniel, I don't know exactly where you want me to go with all this but but listen I live in a geographical area now that's full of masons um, I live in a geographical area right now that has the largest concentration of Mormons in the state of Texas per capita because the Mormons moved in here in, uh, 125, 150 years ago, and they're just intermeshed in, in our whole society. And I have found out that a lot of the initiations, a lot of the covenants, a lot of the things in Mormonism is the same as it is in, in, in the Masonic Lodge. And, 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 and doing some background study, I found out that Joseph Smith was a Mormon. That isn't really what you ask. Okay. The the, the 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 Masonic literature will say. In fact, I can show you where even Pike said the Masonic Lodge is a religion, and it's a Luciferian doctrine. They teach that Jesus and Lucifer were half brothers, and they they teach that Lucifer is the, the 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 light bearer and he he is the one that is good and that Jesus is the god of darkness they've totally flipped everything but now here's also what Pike says by the way he was the grand poobah of all masons Pike said at least 70% and probably 90% of all Masons don't have one idea of, about the genuine root teaching of the Masonic Lodge. These, most of these men are good men, 
searching for something. It is the church that has failed them, Brother Daniel. And, and, and the church needs to step up and say, man, we're going to disciple you. We're going to teach you. You don't need to go to some kind of extracurricular activity to try to find some, some esoteric doctrine and some esoteric understanding and knowledge here. The, 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 the mysteries of all are found in Jesus Christ. So, brother, they fight me uh, like I'm a rattlesnake. So I just pray and go on. Um and um, it, 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 it's been an exciting journey. Um, but but the, one of the churches that I was in where they, they literally came after me and, mm-hmm. and, 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 and attacked me, it was, it was, a, it was an interesting scenario. And, and I would say this, if there is, if there is um, any pastor that listens to this podcast that has masons in your, in your church, just do your homework, do your study, do your praying. But, but, but listen, uh, the Masonic God is not Jesus Christ. Um, and I, maybe I've said too much. Uh, well, but anyway. Not for our audience, trust me. Oh, okay. <laughs> you are doing great. See, and let me just interject here because these are some of my observations and um, I'll, I'll let you respond or not as you see fit. But one of the things I've seen is that the kingdom of darkness uses Freemasonry and the lodge as a platform to loose tentacles into the different components of the society within that local geography, whether it's the business sector or the political sector or the religious sector, on and on. They have representatives that are meeting in that lodge where they are doing secret rights and also, you know, rubbing shoulders of the, the agendas that get determined by those that are at the head of the lodge are then dispersed through the representatives from the lodge. And it's the heads that are dispensing the agenda that are connected to the Luciferian doctrines. And so the Freemasonic Lodge becomes a gate into that geography for Luciferian agendas that are being carried by people that are somewhat, maybe moderately, ignorant of what they're actually being made to be a part of, while simultaneously uh, they are in in uh, covenants and agreements with um, some very dark people. Most of the survivors that I work with who had 30th degree fathers or grandfathers and higher were put through Freemasonic rituals as children that were absolutely terrible within the select groups of the insiders within the lodge, so to speak. And I mean, they're doing full-blown satanic ritual abuse. And so, you know, I see a lot of uh, purposes. And, and one of the interesting things, and I'm, I'm going to pause after this, is, you know, one of their gods is the Baphomet, and of course, that oh, yes. goes along with the five-pointed inverted star, the chin being the bottom and the two ears and the two horns. Uh, and I have found that we have to often get people that are descendants of Freemasons that are high levels uh, free from the Baphomet bloodline, as strange as that sounds. It's been pretty universal, the, the breakthrough that comes with that renunciation. But 
the Baphomet is a type of Pan. Pan was, of course, the uh, Greek god, of, and, and he is attributed to, to teaching philosophy and other things. And one of the interesting things is, is that when Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, he was actually speaking at the base of Mount Hermon which yeah. mountain was associated with the Greek god Pan, and it was a gate to the underworld. And so yeah. if you look at that, just that frame in the Bible, and you take that demonstration, okay, well, this gate to the underworld being associated with the Greek god Pan, present day, let's translate that to Baphomet and set that in the community center at the Masonic Lodge. It seems to be very clear. There is a gate to Luciferian agendas that is often being pumped through these Masonic lodges. And, and, and that's, I mean, evidence enough for, I think, anybody that is thinking, you know, to, to exit or renounce and seek to get free from this organization, because in, in my opinion, it's not good. Okay, I'm done. Your yeah. turn. Well, and, and, and I, of course, agree with you uh, wholeheartedly. That five-pointed star... Um, is the sign of the Eastern Star, which is the, of course, the the, the women's side of Freemasonry. Uh, and listen, Masonic men are not are not mean at all compared to what Eastern Star ladies are. Um, and I guess I've said enough there myself. But anyway, um, <laughs> it, it well, well, I mean, it, it's just true. It's just true. Uh, and and I have I have dealt with uh, 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 people who who had all of these remnants of uh, Masonic rituals and uh, Eastern Star rituals and all those kind of things. So yes, I agree with you total, wholeheartedly. Um, so amen and amen, brother. So let me let me come back and ask you this question: What are some of the more notable? demonstrations of God's power that you've witnessed? Oh, well, let me tell you two or three of them, okay? I was dealing with a young couple. We were doing some marriage counseling, and uh, I felt impressed of the Lord to, uh, <clears throat> to ask them before they exited. Uh, I said, um, I, I noticed the child don't have any children, and, and they said no. In fact, we've got a we've got an appointment uh, to go to a, to a high level uh, fertility doctor, and and so I, I knew that the Holy Spirit was prompting me. So I listened, and and and, and before the couple left, I had a clear question to ask them. So I asked her. I said, "Have you ever cursed yourself?" And um, she looked at me the way that most people look at Baptist preachers, and as if, are you crazy? Um, and uh, she said, what do you mean? And I said, well, have you ever said I don't want to have children, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? She said, well, yes, I have. Um, I said, well, tell me about that. She said, well, I had two rascally little brothers. And so many times growing up, uh, I, I would I would say something like this, Lord, if if I ever get married and if I ever have children, and if they're going to be like these two little rascal brothers I've got, then I just don't want to have children at all. 
Oh, okay. I said, well, why don't we renounce that? So we did. We renounced that. And she she confessed that that, that had been a, a self-curse up, up on her. Ten weeks after that, I saw this lady at a funeral. And she ran up to me and hugged me head on. Now, but, but Daniel, I'm, I'm an old-fashioned Baptist preacher. I don't mind hugging a lady, but uh, come on my side. Hug me sideways. Don't, don't hug me front ways. Um, and you know what I'm talking about mm-hmm. there. So, mm-hmm. I mean, she, I, she hugged me. <laughs> okay. And I, and, and I said, how are you going? She said, Brother Neil, I've just got back from the doctor. I'm six weeks pregnant. Now, I, I asked the Lord about all of that, and he said, well, Neil, you did what I told you to do. You asked her if she had put a self-curse upon herself because she had literally spoken out to her body, don't get pregnant. And her body was listening to what her mouth told it to do. I said, oh, God, is that how that works? God said, yeah, that's how that works. Uh, so that was one. That's how I, I, I began to understand how God worked in in, in, in that area. I, I was dealing with another individual that came in and, and and said, "Brother Neil, I've got a sense of impending doom." I said, "Well, that's a new one on me, impending doom." So, boy, we prayed and we canceled and and and, and we forgave and we. We, we, we did everything under the sun, and, and, and we could not get her out from under that dark cloud mm-hmm. of impending doom. So the Holy Spirit said to me, Neil, ask her if her mother ever had an abortion. I said, say what? You want me to ask her if her mother ever had an abortion? Holy Spirit said, yeah, ask her. So I asked her. now, And you know how this goes, Brother Daniel. Mm-hmm. And, and all the time I'm saying, and if she says yes, what do I do then? And she said yes. So I said, okay, God, what do I do now? And so the the Lord taught me as I was ministering to that lady the spiritual implications and applications of this. When a woman has an abortion, that makes her womb an unsafe place. And and Satan can put a legal accusation against that woman's womb because out of that womb there has been a murder. And then when the woman gets, quote-unquote, pregnant again, then in, into the atmosphere of impending doom, this new child comes into being. So... We forgave the mother for having that initial abortion. We, we, we spoke blessings up, up on her conception and all those different things that we did. And boom, that, that sense of impending doom was lifted. So it was literally a legal curse that Satan had against her because nothing that she had done, she had just been conceived in a womb that had a legal accusation against it. Does that make sense, Brother Daniel? Wow. And and I'm just like, you know, that that is and, and always the abortion conversation is a good conversation to have because there are many people 
that had all kinds of lives before they came to Jesus. And this is an area that gets addressed through deliverance and inner healing for people that have been through this, even if they were ignorant of the moral and spiritual consequences. But right. think about national consequences. Yeah. For a long time in the U, what was the USSR at one point, um, the prescribed method of birth control was abortion for like everybody. Yeah. So you had an entire generation of people being born into a, 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 a an environment where it was systematic. If you wanted birth control, you got an abortion. All the right. wombs are unsafe. What does right. that mean for that generation? Uh, anyway. Well, he, here's what it means. Uh, Satan, uh, when 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 the key to to death, and that that's literally what it is. When the key to death is handed to Satan, then Satan can determine how he uses that key. In other words, that 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 uh, if there is finally a child that is born, or even in the in the mother that had the abortion. Or the or the, uh, the 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 father that was involved there, then he has a legal accusation against them, and and it's not only death of children. It can be death of finances, death of health, uh, uh, death uh, death of of of, of, of happiness, uh, death of. In other words, Satan can decide what he wants to kill because he's been handed the key. Am I explaining that okay? You are. Okay. Man. So this is what we found. And when we take that key away from him, mm. by the way, that's another biblical principle. Keys in the Bible are always symbols of authority. Right. And when we take that key away by, by bringing it to the finished work of Jesus Christ, um, then health can prosper. Finances can, can prosper. Uh, ingenuity can prosper. Uh, on and on and on and on, all those things, because that key has been taken away from Satan and put under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brother Neil, I have a suspicion that a large percentage of the body of Christ is locked up against the ability to pursue freely their destiny in Christ, and they're awaiting application of keys I agree you, you know what I'm going to say to that please well, I, I don't not you, yet you, <laughs> go ahead you, you need to write a book about that oh my gosh <laughs> oh lord See, of mercy I, I, I agree with your statement but let me tell you what the, the problem is okay two words hmm. identity and authority mm-hmm when the body of Christ does not know their identity, then they cannot walk in their authority. But when they learn their identity in Christ, then they can walk in their authority in Christ. We teach that faithfully, systematically, uh, continually here, identity uh, and, and, and authority. 
but of course all of the schemes of Satan is trying to to kill, steal, and destroy. And and I, I think we talked about whenever I was talking to you earlier. Uh, I have a ministry association called John Ten Ten Ministries. You know, the thief has come to steal, to kill, to destroy. But I, Jesus said, I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. I, here's what God taught me. And by the way, I've been studying that verse of Scripture since I was saved in 1956. Jesus taught me, in order to fully appreciate, understand, and walk in the fullness of the last half of John 10.10, 10, we've got to deal initially with the first half of John 10.10. 10. That's good. How the thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy in our generational bloodline. Once we get that wiped out and taken care of, then we can have life, which just means uh, redemption, and then we can have it more abundantly, which means the abundant life simply means reaching back into that redemption life and appropriating, a, appropriating all of that into our identity, into the present. I I yeah. love what you just said about John 10.10, 10, and that we need to get the first half before we fully get the second half. You know, and, and this is where a lot of survivors get very frustrated, because when they are presented with a, 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 a lopsided explanation mm-hmm. of how it works, All you need, for instance, is to understand your identity in Christ and everything else will rearrange in your life and you will have abundance. And they never talk about the first half of John 10.10 and give the tools, the equipping, and the teaching necessary. Uh, The breakthroughs don't come. Frankly, the, the breakthroughs are simply not there. And... People in general, survivors most uh, 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 intensely, but people in general get frustrated because they don't see what they're told they should uh, manifest. And and, and the way you said it, I I love that. I'm probably going to take that and repeat it. (laughs) You got to get both halves of John 10.10. That's so good. Amen. You got to have both halves. Let me let me tell you another very special thing and way that God has has manifested Himself, and brother, it all for me now. It always starts with Scripture. Mm. It always starts with when when God begins to to initiate. Even if I'm sitting in my office like I am right now, and and, and He's saying, Neil, I want you to study this passage of Scripture or whatever. I was studying First uh, Corinthians chapter ten. Uh, verse one says, "Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that our fathers were under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and on and on and on and on." And then down to, to verse thirteen, which most of us know, "No temptation has taken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able." But with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So as I was studying that passage of Scripture, it began in verse 1 by talking about our fathers were passing through the sea. And then, and then I found that this, this statement here in verse 10, uh, God will make a way of escape. 
it, it references back to the Red Sea experience in the Old Testament. The Israelites came to the Red Sea. The sea was in front of them. The Egyptians were behind them. They couldn't go around it. They couldn't tunnel under it. And they couldn't pole vault over it. So God took them through it. And it literally means a way through the middle. And so I said, okay, God, thank you for that information. I, and I, I didn't know how I was going to use that, but I just knew that I had it in my memory bank because of my study time with God. My wife's parents were living in Oklahoma City at that time. She was going up there to see them, so uh, I was not going with her. So I prayed with her that morning, and she took off. And and uh, in a couple of hours, she called me, and she said, Neil, you, you better pray for me again. I said, okay. I said, why? She said, it's raining so hard, uh, I can't hardly see to drive. So immediately, I said, now, God, I prayed with my wife this morning. I was not negligent. I was not passive. Uh, what, but what do you want me to pray now? And immediately the Holy Spirit said, pray a way through the middle. Hmm. And all of my study came back to mind. I said, okay, God give my wife a way through the middle all the way to Oklahoma City. She called back in about um, two minutes, and she said, Neil, you're not going to believe this. I said, yeah, I will. Tell me what's happening. She said, I can see rain up ahead of me. I can see rain behind me. I can see rain on either side of me. But there is a bubble, a canopy that is over me, and it's not raining in my bubble. I said, well, praise the Lord. The Lord is giving you a way through the middle. At that time, on Indian Nation Turnpike there in Oklahoma, there was a McDonald's on either uh, on each end of the turnpike. She stopped at the McDonald's and uh, for a bite, and then she came out and she called me again, and she said, "Neil, you're not going to believe it." I said, "Yeah, Will, tell me what happened." She said, "When I stopped, my bubble stopped." <laughs> okay. She got back on Indian Nation, uh, started. Uh, going north toward Oklahoma City, she called me again. And she said, Neil, I can see the rain in front of me. I can see the rain behind me on either side. And she said, there's cars just galore, but it's not raining in my bubble. And Neil, here's the, she said, here's the funny part. There's cars trying to get in my bubble because they can see that it's not raining on my car. Mm -hmm. Bubble followed her all the way to Oklahoma City. She didn't have one second trouble, even though it was a horrible rainstorm. So, so brother, I, this morning, uh, my wife took off on, on a trip. You know what we prayed? Hmm. God, give her away through the middle. Uh, it's just scripture, brother Daniel. It's just scripture. But I would not have known to pray that had I not been studying the Word of God. 
so that's one of the greatest things that God's ever taught me. Study his word. He'll show you the application. Um, and, uh, and by the way, I, I, I study the word of God with three principles. I, observation, interpretation, and application is always the way that, 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 that I do it, the way I learn how to do it. But, but Father, uh, when Father God did that, it was, it was amazing. But in that, mm-hmm. Brother Daniel, mm-hmm. uh, I, I learned something. The giftings of God are uniquely oriented in different elements in our life. And here's what I mean by that. For some reason, God has that unique anointing upon my life to deal with things in the physical, just like, Lord, pray away through the middle for my life. I was standing on our front porch. And there was a bad storm coming. Now, in East Texas, we have some bad storms and tornadoes. And, and the weatherman uh, out of Tyler was saying, get in a small uh, windowless room. And, and my daughter-in-law was standing there with me. And she said, Papa, what are we going to do? Because we looked down the road literally and saw the storm coming and I said Rachel we're going to rebuke the storm she said how do you do that I said we're going to do it just the way God told me to she said God told you to rebuke the storm I said Rachel I wouldn't do it if God didn't tell me to so I pointed my finger at that storm that the weatherman by the way was showing on his radar brother Daniel And I said, Storm, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus is not your author nor your sustainer. So I command you to go up, go around. You can do whatever you want to do, but you're not going to touch this property in Christ Jesus' name. And the storm lifted. And my daughter-in-law, who is a believer, by the way, said, Papa, if I were not a believer before this, I would be a believer now. We went back into the house, and the weatherman said, something strange just happened, because he was watching it on his radar system. He said the storm that was over the air, and he called the geographical area where we lived, has just jumped and landed a mile down the road. And my daughter-in-law nearly fainted. Well, Brother Daniel, that's so normal for me. Now, Brother, there's no, there's no self-righteousness attached to that. And I don't go around rebuking storms. You understand that. Mm-hmm. But if God tells me to, I do. But, but there's some kind of something about the anointing that God has placed on me to operate in the physical, uh, just like when... When, when, when Jesus rebuked the storm and calmed the storm. So I don't know if that makes any sense or not. I love it. But I love it. it, it it's a demonstration of Christ in you. And folks, here, here's what you, what you need to take away. The spirit realm, Jesus, the power of God, it's real. And it comes in demonstration. You know, I think that that is an awesome, awesome story 
to conclude with. And I'm glad you just brought it up because if you didn't, I would have asked you about it. <laughs> oh, amen. <laughs> amen. Amen. Folks, l- let me tell you, uh, this is my new friend, Brother Neil Thornburg. And I'm so, so glad that you were able to take some time out of your very busy schedule to join me and to record this program. Folks, he is the discipleship pastor at the church at West Mountain in Gilmer, Texas. Brother Neil, do you have any final thoughts before we conclude this program? Um, just just this, Brother Daniel. Um, the world, the flesh, and the devil are the threefold, three-pronged enemy that is against every Christian and against every church and against the kingdom of light. We Christians do not have the luxury of being passive. We must stand up and fight. We're already winners. Let's just enforce the victory in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And by the way, folks, if you want to get a hold of my guest, you can find him at 903-734-4853. That's the church phone number. You've been listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. Until next time, God bless and Godspeed. You've been listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. If you would like to connect with us at Bride Ministries or to support what we are doing financially, visit us at www.bridemovement.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.